the book of Obadiah. It's where we're preaching from today. You might want to start looking for it now. It's only one page. It's the shortest book in the entire New Testament, a mere 21 verses. If I just, if the sermon was only Obadiah's message, just the reading of his message, the sermon would be two minutes long. But unfortunately for you, I have more to say than that. The book is a set of divine poems, divine poems of, of judgment, divine poems directed against a nation known as Edom. Most of us don't think or hear much about Edom as we go through the Bible, but today you will because in these 21 verses, there is a lot happening. In the two minutes it would take to read this story, there is actually a lot of things happening. Let's start with the backstory. Edom had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. Both Edom and Israel were from the family of Abraham. Sarah and Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac got married to Rebekah, and they had two sons that we are told about, Jacob and Esau. And these brothers, to put it mildly, were not uh, bosom buddies. They were not the best of friends. Coming out of the womb, they were struggling against each other, the Bible tells us. Now, both of these sons eventually received other names, uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, one night, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 32, verses 26, and all the verses I'm using are actually, I think, believe listed in your bulletins, not written out, but the, if you want to go back and reference them later. But in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 26, we're told that, 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 that Jacob was wrestling with God and he didn't know at first it was God. In fact, he thought it was his brother or uh, a henchman for his brother. But when he realized it was God, he, he held on to him and said, Lord, I refuse to let you go until you bless me. And because of Jacob's determination, thereafter he was known as Israel. God gave him that name, which means one who contends with God. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 28. Esau's Esau, Jacob's brother, became known as Edom. Esau, we are told, was reddish. He had a reddish complexion. Uh, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 25. And the word Edom means red. And so Jacob became Israel and, and Esau became Edom. And from these two men, large families grew. And these large families grew into people groups. Uh, tribes of the day, what we may describe as nations, small nations now, Israel and Edom. Now, the people of Israel and Edom did not coexist much better than the two brothers. And over the generations, they pestered one another, we could say, uh, in some very aggressive and violent ways. But there was still this, this recognition that they were Family. They were still, though now distant, there was still blood that, between them. They shared the same blood. But this blood, blood, blood bond that should have existed was, was trampled on one too many times by Edom, and it all came to a head when Israel was overrun and many of the Israelite people were taken into captivity in Babylon. And I, if you want to, you can turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. This is what the Bible tells us about that time when, when Israel, when Judah was taken into captivity. 
and the ninth year of his reign in the 10th month, on the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people in the land. Then a breach was made in the city and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls by the king's garden, though the Chaldeans were all around the city and they went in the direction of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his own eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him into Babylon. And then jumping down just two verses, and he burned the house. This is talking about the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile, but the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. Now we could say after reading that, that Israel, that Judah, that Jerusalem was having a bad day. Not just a bad day, they were having a bad month. They had been under siege for some time without food. They were having a bad year and the years ahead were not looking very good either. Their king was dead. Their army was scattered. The walls of their city were destroyed. Their place of worship was burned down. Their, their personal homes were burned down. Their leaders and, and their wise men were all taken off into captivity. This group of people were going through a trial and a struggle. And while Israel was having this bad day, while, while Judah was having a bad day, their blood relatives, their, their contentious brother, Edom decided to pile on, to add to their very bad day. First, we know from the Bible that, that, Israel, or that Edom cheered and gloated over their destruction. Psalm 137 and verse seven says this. This was a song that was remembering when this captivity of Babylon happened. And it says this, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. They were, they were like sporting fans standing on the sideline, cheering on this destruction of their brothers. Listen to some of these lines from Ezekiel 35, talking about the same thing about this moment as well. Ezekiel 35 and verse five. This is talking about the Edomites. You cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Ezekiel 35, 10. You said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will take possession of them. Ezekiel 35 and verse 13. You magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it. So God's saying, not only are you speaking against them, but you're speaking against me as well. Ezekiel 35 and verse 15. You rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate. 
Their brothers are having a bad day and they're looking at them and going, hey, this is good. And they're piling on. Amos continues this thread. Amos chapter one and verse six says, they carried into exile a whole people delivered up to them, up to Edom. And at Amos one and verse nine, they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Israel, Judah, Jerusalem was having a bad day and Edom was there to gloat over them, to plunder their land, to bring further desolation to what remained, to, to take any remaining exiles into captivity. They did not remember, the Bible says, the covenant of brotherhood. And it is in response to this attitude of Edom towards their fellow man that Obadiah is inspired by God to prophesy against Edom. So turn to the book of Obadiah. It comes just before Amos, comes just, or just before, sorry, just before uh, Jonah and just after the book of Amos. Just before the book of Jonah and the whale and just after the book I just quoted Amos. And while you're turning there, let me point something out to you. This is important for uh, the direction we are going. These people, Jerusalem, Israel, Judah, they are having a very bad day. And here is the reason why they're having a very bad day. Think about this. They're having a very bad day because of their own decisions. You know, sometimes we have bad days simply because we live in a sinful world. In this world, you will have trouble. There are people that, that have lived healthy their whole lives and they wake up one day and they have cancer. There are people that have been faithful to God and they wake up one day and, and, and their spouse no longer loves them. These are realities of a sinful world in which it wasn't decisions personally that they made. But sometimes we have very bad days because of our own choices of sin. In other words, our own choices directly impact the reality of our day. Sometimes because we wake up, like Shirley, and we, as she talked about in her thing, and we say, man, this day's gonna be horrible. This day's gonna be so bad, or no one likes me, or whatever else it may be. And we talk ourselves into bad days. We have bad days because of our own mindset, our own thinking, our own choices. Listen to this paragraph from 2 Chronicles. Stay there in, uh, stay there in uh, Obadiah, but listen to this paragraph from 2 Chronicles. I'm reading from chapter 36, and I'll read, uh, start first in verse 14. All the officers of the priests, this is talking about Israel right around this time of this captivity. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. And then jump down to verse 17. Therefore, he that is God brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on the young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all his palaces with fire and destroyed all his precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. 
The very bad day that, that Israel is having was a result of their bad, their immoral, their wrong decisions. That's what it tells us. They, were, they, were, they had chosen to not align themselves with God, to remove themselves from the protection of God. And God allowed them to have their choice. And when they removed themselves out from under that protection, God allowed it to be so. And the king of Babylon came in and took them captive. They are bad, they're wrong, they're unjust, they're immoral. So Edom, think about this, Edom is not piling on an innocent group of people. Edom is, is not piling on persons that were walking closely with the Lord and, and following the Lord in all his ways. Edom was not piling on a just and an honest and a sincere group of people. Edom was piling on a group of people that were experiencing the consequences of their own sin. And here is what God thought of Edom piling on someone who was receiving the just consequences of their sin. Obadiah verses eight and nine. Will I not that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. And then continuing on, God says, because of what you have done and what you are now doing, verse 10, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. And on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. Let me pause here. In the first verses, God through Obadiah refers to Edom as Esau. And in the latter verses, he refers to Israel as Jacob. He is reminding them of their shared lineage, of their familial bond, and God is telling Edom that they will be destroyed, that they will suffer consequences for attacking not the innocent, for attacking not those who, who are so undeserving of anything that's happening for them. No, he's saying even for piling on the wicked, your wicked brothers who have abandoned me, who have been unfaithful in all their ways, who have, who have mocked me, who have dishonored the house of the Lord, even for piling on them, you will receive punishment. God continues his prophecy through Obadiah, giving us further insight into what Edom did. It is part of his rebuke. But I wonder if it should be a rebuke or a warning or a reminder to us. Here's what it says in verse 12. But do not gloat over the day of your brother, in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over, their, over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. 
Do not do these things. Edom was gloating over a people that were being justly punished. They were rejoicing over a people that had done wrong, who had represented God wrongly. They're joining in the pillaging of a city laid to ruins because God withdrew his protection from them because they no longer wanted that protection. They are helping to hand over any survivors that were missed. They're taking their own captives as well. They were piling on during this very bad day that Israel was having. And God says to Edom, how dare you do this? Why did Edom do this? Why did Edom feel like they were allowed to do this? Why did Edom feel they were justified in doing this? The answer is actually at the beginning of the poems in verses two through four. It says, behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, you who say in your heart, who will bring us down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. The dwelling place of Edom was, was actually physically on high ground. So they physically felt like they were indestructible, like, like they could not be touched. But they also spiritually saw themselves. You who think you are, you are high up, I will bring you low. They, they saw themselves as superior to their brothers. They thought of themselves as better, as more powerful. And because their brothers were having a bad day, they looked upon them and said, you know what? They deserve this and we're going to add on to what they already deserve. It was pride, it was arrogance, it was, it, was, it was them thinking that they were better than this. And, and so they kicked them when they were down. Whenever we kick someone, brothers and sisters, whenever we kick someone when they are down, whenever we pile on those having a bad day, whenever we point out and draw attention to the sins of others in order to have others pile on as well, whenever we join the chorus of, of negative voices when someone is getting their just due in our world, it is not because we are just. It is not because we are holding people accountable. It is because of our pride and our arrogance. It was the pride of Edom that led to the piling on of Israel. It is your pride and my pride that, that lead us to pile on others when they are wounded. I share this message with us as a Christian community because I think sometimes we are in danger. In fact, more than sometimes, I think actually we are at times Edom to our own brothers, to our own neighbors, to our, to our family members, to our, to our fellow church members. We might even be Edom to the world outside because we don't know hearts and minds and where God is leading people. And I would ask us, are you an Edom? Are, am I an Edom? In fact, I ask, are you an Edom? Because I know that sometimes I am an Edom, piling on. Think of some of the things. Have you, ever, have you ever hit that thumbs up like button on Facebook after reading something critical or, or unflattering or unkind about someone or, or something? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join people in that, that thought that they're no good. Are you guilty of being an Edom? Have you ever shared an article 
that would help to further pile on the opposition against a person or a group. I would say you're guilty of being, being an Edom. Have you ever in your, in your summer socializing sat around your pools or the lake or whatever it may be that you're doing? Have you ever, have you ever in your summer socializing just relaxing and gently critiquing all those who are wrong except for you? You are being an Edom. Have you on Sabbath afternoon sat around and talked about all that is negative in the church? I may have done this on the time or two. I even say that pastor's a bum sometimes and I'm that pastor. But have you ever done that, talked about all that's wrong in, this, in the church? That worship service was this and that was wrong and, and someone at the church was like this and you are guilty of being an Edom. God states in Obadiah verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Even if someone is guilty or you are in the right and they are in the wrong, even if someone is receiving their just punishment, for their sins and for their decisions. When we pile on as a practice of simply joining in the fray, we are guilty of being Edoms and God holds us accountable for that. God holds us accountable for that. Let me tell you a quick story illustrating why this sermon might be especially pertinent to for this community in the weeks and months ahead. And then let me end with a reminder of our perfect example. Seven years ago, this upcoming summer, I participated in two examples of piling on. So I, I'm saying this about me. I, I was Edom. I'm gonna give you two examples of when I was Edom from seven years ago. I was at the Seventh-day Adventist Churches general conference session in San Antonio. Uh, and I sweated every day walking on that path for those that were there. But I was there as a writer for the Adventist uh, Review. You might recall there was a contentious issue on the agenda, uh, something about women and ordination. You can go look it up. I think most folk know where I stand on how I feel about women as preachers and using their voices for God. If you don't know, just go back and listen to last week's sermon and you will know about that. Well, during the session, there were many heated moments and, and there was activities related to that topic. And regarding one of those moments, specifically regarding a voting moment, I decided to write an article because I was, I was there for just to observe things and write things about what I saw. And the article was specific of a, uh, was critical, I should say, of a specific side. It was hard hitting, it was honest, it was sourced, even if some of the sources said, just don't use my name, but it was all of those things and it attacked, or I should say it piled on some that were already having a tough moment. All the articles that I wrote had to go through uh, Elder Knott, the editor of the Review and Herald, and, in this, and also in 
this case all legal, uh, Karnak Dumetsian, Dukmetsian, and uh, who was not my friend at the time, but he is my friend now. Uh, we met there on the GC floor when he came up to me and informed me that he didn't appreciate my article. And I grabbed his badge and said, I don't care who are you. And then I realized who he was. And it was, and that's the beginning of our friendship. He wasn't smiling though at that moment, but later we became friends. But anyways, they came back to me and they said, Chad, you are not publishing this. This is not getting published. I was bothered. That's actually another statement. I was, I was up set. I was bringing to light justice. I was pointing out what everyone knew. They were just unwilling to say. I was, I was piling on a tough moment for the church, and I was trying to make it a little bit tougher. Seven years later, looking back on that moment, seven years later, I am so glad that there are people like Elder Knott and, and Karnick, Bill and Karnick, that protected me from myself, at least as far as they could because they were protecting me in that public forum, but they couldn't protect me in the private forum. And one night while I was lying there in my hotel room in San Antonio, someone shared with me one of those, those uh, uh, drawing videos. You know those cool drawing videos that they have where someone's talking and as they're talking, there's a drawing going on. And there was this cool drawing video that was happening and this person was talking and, and, and the drawing was happening. Those people are so gifted and so creative. I just, you know even if the video, as I'm going to point out, was not probably the best. It was, I mean, these things are awesome. For those of you who do that, God bless you. You're, you're super talented and cool. But this, this, this video was, was shared with me, and it was about different sides of the debate that was happening, but it was definitely tilted in the side and the favor that I supported, and thus the drawings and the voices over were satirical and the images were, were satirical images of those who were opposed to my personal belief. When I saw that video, I thought, this is great. And I immediately shared it and then went to bed. Shared it, then went to bed. Probably actually, it's July, I probably shared it, watched the baseball game and then went to bed if I'm just being honest. The next morning I woke up and I had a message from a friend, a long time family friend, since I was just a little kid, a family friend of ours, who was upset because one of the persons in the video I shared, the caricature of the person was this individual's spouse. And my friend said to me, I'm disappointed that you would post this mocking video of my spouse. And I got defensive, of course, and I wrote back. And I said, I'm disappointed that you would accuse me of such a thing. There's no names in the video. There's no names in this. And they wrote back simply to me, we both know the point that was being made by you and by them. This individual's spouse was under attack over this issue. And still to this day, I believe I am right on this issue. And that person is not right on this issue. But I piled on, whether I was right or wrong, I piled on on their bad day. I was Edom, and while they've been gracious in friendship, our friendship has forever been affected. Damage is done when we act as Edoms, whether we are right or wrong, whether the person has done bad or we just think they have done bad. Whether, whether their sin is out before everyone and we know that they've sinned and everyone knows that they're guilty, 
no matter what their issue. Obadiah shows us that God is not okay with us coming alongside of whatever consequences or punishment that someone is going through and then piling on to that situation. When we act as Edoms, no matter what the other group's issue is, when we share things on social media, when we, when we, when we gather a group of people around us to, to, to just kind of share our mind to get others against someone, we are just as guilty as those who sinned in the first place. This summer, even today, even when you walk out into the foyer and it might be tempting to do so, man, that pastor, just wait till you're out of earshot from me, at least so I think you listen to my sermon. Tomorrow, in a few weeks, in the months ahead, when you are tempted to pile on, when you're tempted to share that thing, when you're tempted to add to the moment, pause and remember Edom. But also pause and remember our good, good God, Jesus Christ. Turn just one more place to John chapter eight. John chapter eight. It's a familiar story if you've been around church. John chapter eight. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. She's guilty. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might find some charge to bring against Jesus, bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, chapter eight, verse seven. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to pile on, be the first to cast a stone. At once more, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, the wisdom of the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A sinful woman caught in the act of adultery, Something that still is universally, there's a lot of things not accepted as sin anymore, but this is something that's still pretty universally in the church is accepted as sin. Brought before Jesus with, with people ready to pile on and asking Jesus to do so. Wanting to make her day go from bad to worse. And then Jesus steps into this moment. And this woman, guilty? Yes, Absolutely. Caught? Yes, absolutely. Deserving of punishment? Yes. According to scripture and everything else? Yes, absolutely. Ready to receive and expecting to receive not just the pile of their remarks, but their pile of stones upon her. Jesus steps into that moment and this woman receives kindness, and compassion and grace. When the whole world is piling on, are we Edom and do we join in the piling on or are we like Jesus and find those people 
and try to introduce and interject compassion and kindness and grace. Do I, do you, do you want the heart of Edom's pride or do you want the tender heart of our good and wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ? Let us pray. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for our world. I pray for us as a people. I pray for us as Seventh-day Adventists. I pray, Jesus, that we will not pile on. Lord, I know that, that I am at times guilty of it, and I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to remind me when I am doing just such that I will be silenced, that I will remember in my heart Edom, but most of all, Jesus, that I will remember in my heart you. You, the God who, when others are piling on, steps in to remind us, to tell us that there is still hope, there is still grace, there is still love. When others are stoning others, Lord, help us to be like Jesus. When others are stoning us, Lord Jesus, send people into our lives that are like you, that will encourage us. Not excusing our sin. God didn't do that for Israel or Judah, God didn't do that for this woman. But reminding us that those sins, those mistakes do not have to be our defining action. That the defining reality of our life because of you, Jesus, can be grace, forgiveness, and eternity in the kingdom of God. May we be those people for this world, I pray, Jesus, in your name the good name of Jesus. Amen.